give honor and respect to him. Give honor and respect to the other pastors who are in the house. Good friend, Pastor West, good to see you. Dr. Bodie, amen, who has traveled, and you heard from him this morning, Pastor Jack, and others who may be present, to all the leaders of this great church, amen, a great, loving church, uh, amen, you are, you are, you are, uh, we just bless God for you, and as Christy said, for uh, all that you've poured into us, continue to pour into us for your ongoing prayers, uh, for our mistress of ceremony, amen, guiding us and directing us. Thank you so much. Other ministers in the house, leaders, St. Paul, thank you for being here. Amen. For coming home with me. Thank you so much. Amen. So we want to honor your time. Sister Ellis said when we came in, we start on time. <laughs> I said, I'm home. <laughs> Amen. Unlike getting chewed out by Sister Ellis. Amen. You at home there. So bless God. I want to call your attention this afternoon to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I want to read eight verses in Acts uh, from the New International Version today. Verses 1 through 8 uh, may not fit as much for, um, I don't know, whatever you may think a pastor's anniversary sermon is supposed to be. But uh, it's the assignment for today. <laughs> so, so those of you who know me, you, you won't be shocked at all. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until today he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel or a kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You may be seated. Uh, the former great uh, UCLA basketball coach John Wooden uh, is known for uh, his teaching methods and at times unconventional wisdom. It is said that uh, at every first practice with all of the great athletes that he had the privilege of coaching, he would begin the practice by asking all of them to take off their shoes and take off their socks. 
coach announced to the team as he would sit before them that he wanted them to understand some basic things and just needed them to follow directions. At that point, he would show them how to pull up their socks. He would tell them, I want you to make sure that when you pull up your socks, there are no wrinkles, there are no gaps. He would put on his socks and then he would tell them, I want you to make sure that the heel is, is full seated in the heel of the sock. And uh, then he would say, run your hand over the toes to make sure that you smooth out the bumpy areas. Then he showed each player to make sure that everyone knew how to lace his shoes and tie them snugly so that there was no room for the shoe to rub against the sock and the sock to bunch up. As Coach Wooden would do this at each practice, the great athletes obviously would look at him in amazement and shock wondering why he would take the time to show them this basic fundamental lesson, this childlike lesson dealing with socks and shoes. And Coach Wooden would communicate to them that the, the first lesson is important because they have to make sure that they take care of their feet because they're going to spend a whole lot of time in this game on their feet. And they can't afford to have blisters because that'll mess them up in practice and mess them up in the games and they won't play well. And when they don't play well, they won't be able to win. And then he would conclude with this statement. If you want to win championships, you must take care of the smallest details. I would suggest on this afternoon that if we want to please God as pastor and people, whether it's at Zion or St. Paul or any other church that may be gathered under the name of Jesus Christ, if, if we want to please God, we have to make sure that we focus on the essential things. Not just pay attention to details, but focus on those things that Jesus has clearly communicated to us are essential for us to focus on. I share this because oftentimes as we come to a celebration like this, uh, we celebrate for the day and then we go back to business as usual on tomorrow. And sometimes God really uses the celebration as a setup to get our attention so that he might call us in just to challenge us, maybe remind us, encourage us, or even correct us to help us to understand what really is essential when it comes to being the people of God who are partnering with the servant of God. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter 1. It's a great place to look at the essentials. This is volume 2 of a two-volume set. Luke wrote the first volume, the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus, and he shared about the things of Christ, about the life of Christ. He says, I wanted to give you an orderly account. I, I did my best to, to do the research, to pull together, to make sure I went through all the interviews so that I could line everything up as best I could so that you would have an orderly account of the life of Jesus the Christ. He begins volume two by saying, Theophilus, in my first volume, I started talking to you about the things that Jesus began to do. And I want to continue to highlight the work of Jesus. Very interesting because in chapter one, Jesus is going to step on the cloud and go. But he begins volume two saying, I want to highlight the work, which may suggest that the work is continuing. 
He says, I want you to be able to focus in on the work to understand Jesus and everything that's going on. So he opens up Acts chapter 1 with Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Uh, the one who was crucified, he, he was dead, he was placed in a borrowed tomb, but on the third day, he rose with all power and heaven and earth in his hand, and, and he spends about 40 days with the disciples, and as he spends time with them, he shares with them, he talks with them, he eats with them, he journeys with them, and as he journeys with them, it's interesting, it's interesting, one would think if, if Jesus is going to spend time with the disciples after the resurrection, one would want to know, Jesus, what you talking about, what you focusing and on what are you doing why why is this time period so important to drive home the messages that you communicated while you were yet alive look if you will acts chapter one because the essentials begin to jump out of the text if you look at what jesus does notice jesus spends 40 days with them and while he's spending the 40 days with them look at the central message that jesus proclaims the scripture says that he spoke to them about the kingdom of of God. That's the first essential I want to highlight as pastor and people, as, as we journey together to do the work that God has called us to do. It's important for each of us, for all of us collectively and individually to understand the message that Jesus proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God. I know you, you, you don't seem like you're that excited about that, but but I want to hit that again. Jesus highlighted the message of the kingdom of God. Of all the things that he could have talked about, he could have spent these 40 days explaining to them the various miracles that they had seen while he was alive. He could have spent these 40 days talking to them about what happened to him between his death and his resurrection. He could have spent the 40 days just shooting the breeze about their lives and things to come. But that's not what he talks about. He spends the 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. Well, it's not strange that he talks about the kingdom of God because he came on the scene talking about the kingdom of God. Matthew's gospel says he comes following John the Baptist and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4, around verse 43, he said, I got to go to another town because I got to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The message is about the gospel of the kingdom. Oftentimes we disconnect the gospel from the kingdom, but Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I emphasize that because it's only good news when it's associated with the kingdom. You know, if there's a kingdom, then there's a king and there's a dominion that the king reigns over. He comes preaching about the gospel of the king. He says there's good news. There's good news. There's rescue. There's deliverance. There's reconciliation. But that's so that you might be in alignment with the new king, that you might operate under the rule and the reign and the authority of the, it's the gospel of the kingdom. He comes proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom that I want you to understand that you are new citizens now, not, not of this this earthly domain but you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven now the kingdom of God now you got a new ruler you got a new authority you got a new voice that speaks into your head that dominates in your heart he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and that's important because as pastor and people we got to remember the essential is the kingdom it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom. I, I highlight that because oftentimes we get focused on churchdom. But Jesus didn't come preaching churchdom. He, he came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We, we get bent out of shape about the institution we call church. 
really the building and things associated with it that we call it. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He talked about the gospel of the kingdom. He talked about the reign and rule of God, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. The reign and rule of God, not just in my religious behavior, but in my life when I'm at home, in my life when I'm on my job. The reign and rule of God, not just of my intellect, but even my emotions and my attitude and my motivation. He talks about the kingdom. That's an essential message because if we're not careful, we'll get distracted and fight one another over churchdom. I wish that somebody would leave because we were fighting over the kingdom, but most of the time folk don't leave when we talk about kingdom. They leave when we get focused on churchdom. Well, uh, maybe you don't get that, so uh, I appreciate Jim Botts. Jim Bonds is a, a blog that I read, a young man who writes a blog, and, and in one of his blogs, he talked about kingdom people or church people. He says, church people have reduced ministry vision and can't see past church-bound categories for ministry, i.e. usher, greeter, children's worker, inviter of lost friends, etc. Kingdom people have kingdom vision to think, dream, act outside the box. They want to heal the wounds in the neighborhood, the workplace, and community, such as the fatherless addictions and marriages. Church people see the gospel in the terms of good news about the afterlife. It's how you can be sure you're going to heaven after you die. But kingdom people see the gospel in terms of good news about kingdom life. It's about life in God and with God, but now and forever. Church people understand discipleship as primarily about enjoying a closer relationship with God that grows me to spiritual maturity. But kingdom people understand discipleship as the call to lose their life for Christ's sake so they can participate in his family for his mission. There's a difference between church and kingdom. The essential is the kingdom. The kingdom is not a means to a bigger church. The church is a means to demonstrating the kingdom. And if we're going to be the pastor and people that God wants us to be, we got to focus on the essential, which is the, some of y'all been listening. Secondly, not only do we have the essential of the message, but, but notice there is the means to achieve the mission. It's interesting. You, you look, Jesus talks to them, and, and while talking to them, one day he's, he's having a meal with them, and, and Jesus says, whatever you do, don't you leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait until you receive the gift that my father promised, which you heard me talk about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus says, I, I want you to understand the means by which the mission is going to be achieved. I'm glad you got the message that is about the kingdom, but please understand you can't achieve the mission that God has for his people in your own power. Please understand you can't achieve the mission that God has for his people with your own intellect. I don't care how many books you read, how many degrees that you get. You, you can't achieve that with your intellect. You don't have enough wisdom to accomplish the mission of God collectively. You can't pull enough people together to get enough energy, wisdom, intellect, and ability, skills, or, or talents to achieve the mission of God. He said, no, 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 no. You make sure you wait in Jerusalem so that you might receive the spirit of promise i know we don't talk about the spirit much but he all through the new testament 
you, you can't do what God wants you to do without the spirit. Jesus talked about the spirit, John 14, 15, 16. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you a comforter, another just like me. And, and he's going to be in you. And he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to remind you of what I told you. He's going to testify of me. He says, you can't do this without the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. So he says, even though you clear on the message, don't go nowhere. Don't, don't move. Don't, don't plan. Don't strategize. Because you need the Spirit. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that all of us who are part of the church are, are, are blood-bought believers who have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. And as a result of surrendering lives to Jesus Christ, that we've been baptized by the Spirit. We have the Spirit living on the inside of us. I, I hope that because we've trusted in the gospel of Christ that we realize that the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhead, lives on the inside of each of us. I hope that because sometimes you can come to church and still not know Jesus. Jesus. You can come to church and not be a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have the spirit of Christ. But, but if any man have the spirit of Christ, he is one of Christ. So, so I hope we understand that the moment you trust in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit that moves on the inside, that takes control to say, you no longer in charge, but I'm going to run this thing. Don't, don't tell me about what your mama did, what your uncle did. Don't tell me about what the previous board did. Don't tell me about what the church voted. The Holy Spirit said, I I'm going to run this thing. I'm going to run you. I'm going to run everybody who connected to me. He says, I'm in charge. I'm influencing. I'm directing. And I'm submitting to the Godhead. The means to achieving the mission is the Holy Spirit. So he says, whatever you do, don't, don't go nowhere. Don't do nothing until you receive him. Now, now after Pentecost, we got him. But sometimes, many times, oftentimes, we move without looking to him. We make decisions. We ain't prayed. We ain't fasted. We ain't read nothing. We haven't surrendered our will to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to the church? Because we still believe you're speaking to us. We still believe you're guiding us. We still believe you're directing us. Do I have any Bible readers in the house? Because y'all looking like, I don't know about all that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Constantly being filled. Constantly being controlled. Constantly being directed. Constantly being influenced. Just like a drunk man is constantly drinking wine, we ought to constantly be surrendering to the Holy Spirit so that he might guide and direct and influence so that we can be in alignment with the father that's an essential if the church is going to be the church we got to be guided by the spirit more than by our flesh why because in the flesh we cannot please god help me holy ghost no we can't please God doing it in our own ability, in our own strength, with our own stuff. But we got to rely on the Holy Spirit and let him guide and let him do it and let him direct. That's when we please God. And if we're going to be locked in as pastor and people, we got to realize we all got to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Not a spirit. There's a whole lot of spirits in the church. But the Holy Spirit, we got to surrender to him. 
But as we surrender to him, we can be directed and influenced to achieve the mission of God. That's the second essential, the message, the means by which we achieve the mission. But watch this third one. This third one is interesting because while Jesus is talking about the importance of them waiting to receive the spirit, um, they decide they want to raise a question. Jesus, Jesus, I know, I know you engaged talking about the spirit. No, I know, I know. But can I interrupt your lesson, Jesus? Jesus, got a question, got a question, got a question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a good question. That is a good question. I mean, it's a good question considering their history because, because according to the history, God, God was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. According to the history, the Messiah would come, and when the Messiah comes, he would, he would be their ruler. He would, he would be their deliverer. He would be the one that would set them free from the authorities of the earth and the land, and they would again be a great kingdom like the kingdom they had under King David. They would be a great kingdom, and, and the one who establishes that kingdom, that kingdom shall have no end. Great question great question will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel it's a legitimate question based on the history I mean if you just study scripture it it makes sense it's not totally off track Jesus talking about kingdom the question got kingdom in it it's just kingdom to Israel it's a good question it's a it's a legitimate question but it's a narrow-minded question <laughs> Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's narrow-minded, especially when you consider Luke's scope. Luke's scope has been to the Gentiles. Luke's, Luke's scope, he, he's writing the, the, the gospel of Luke with a bent towards people who don't know Jesus, people who may not be of a Jewish background, people who may not have that history and that connection. So as he writes and you read throughout Luke's gospel, Luke does a lot with publicans and sinners. He, he does a lot with people who are not of Israel. He highlights the interactions that Jesus has with people who are not of the race not of the nation of Israel because he wants them to understand that this gospel of the kingdom is not just for Israel but it's bigger than Israel he wants them to understand that this gospel of the kingdom is for all nations wait a minute they should have understood that had they read Genesis chapter 12 because Genesis chapter 12 when God makes the promise to Abram he says I'm going to give you a seed and from your seed there's going to be a great nation and from that nation nations will be blessed not just one nation not not just Israel, but nations will be blessed. It's a good question. It's a legitimate question, but it's a narrow-minded question. They're only concerned about Israel. So, so it's here. It's, it's an essential to consider shadow missions. John Ortberg at one of the leadership summits talked about 
shadow missions. He, he talked about uh, the fear that many leaders have. It's not a fear of failure. It's not a fear of being misunderstood, but, but it's a fear of utilizing a whole lot of energy and utilizing a whole lot of resources and spending a whole lot of time and then later discover that you used your energy, your resources, and wasted your time on the wrong thing. A shadow mission. Things that are good things, that it may be even legitimate things, but, but they're not the main thing. So because they're good things or, or legitimate things, but not the main thing, it becomes a waste of time, a waste of energy, and a waste of resources. It's a shadow mission. Wait a minute. Could the church sometimes have shadow missions? Do we ever find ourselves wasting time and energy and resources on, on things that are good things? They are legitimate things, but they're not the main thing. I ain't got nobody want to tell the truth in here. You, you never found yourself in dialogue and discussion, raising questions about good things, legitimate things, but, but they really don't have a whole lot to do with the kingdom of God. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe y'all don't over here. So maybe to bring clarity to good things, legitimate things, that's not the main thing, maybe we got to talk about the last essential, which is the mission. He says, what you just asked me ain't none of your business. That's my translation. That ain't, that ain't none of your business. That's God territory. Stop wasting your time with stuff that's in God territory. As a side note, I don't have time to deal with that, but a lot of us would do well to stop wasting our time with stuff that's in God territory. Stuff like trying to change the person sitting next to you. That's in God territory. You can't change them. That's God's stuff. You, you can't reshape them. You can't remake them. You, you can't do nothing about them. That's God's stuff. So stop wasting your time and your energy in God territory. Get on back in your space. And function as a human being who has been created by God that has limited control even of ourselves. Stay out of God's space. He said, that's God territory. He says, but you shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. After you receive the person because the person has power, you get power. It's not about the power, it's about the person because the person got power because he's the third person in the Godhead. Oftentimes we want power without the person. So you understand the person is the third person in the Godhead. When you get the person, you got power because the person is the third person in the God. He's God. So you receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you and, and, and here is the mission. You shall be my witnesses. Not, not going to court, telling them what you saw, telling them what you know, but, but, but you shall be my witnesses. That, that, that word communicates the idea of being a martyr, of being one who communicates in such a way. You communicate the truth. You communicate the testimony of Christ, but you understand as you communicate, you're placing your life on the line for that which you communicate. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my representatives. You shall be my martyrs. That's the mission. You mean the mission is for me to be a witness? For me to be a martyr? Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. You, you, you mean the mission is for me to be a witness? For me to be a martyr? For me to be willing to lay my life on the line? For me to be able to die? 
life or the gospel of the kingdom in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. I mean, I don't have no problem maybe being a martyr. I'm, I'm, I'm second, you know, I got, got, got a little, you know, hesitation about giving my life up and stuff like that. But, but I, I probably can take that one in Jerusalem. I could probably, I could, I could digest that one. Judea, I could get with that. But hold up, God. Samaria? Now you're tripping. Because you do know they have breeds. We, we separated from them a long time ago. They, they deviated and, and mixed up the true religion and, and blended it with false religion. I know you don't mean for us to reach out to them. We don't even pass through Samaria. He said, no, that's the mission. Mm, rewind, revisit the mission. The mission becomes important because each of us have the assignment to be martyrs, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. We have the assignment to be witnesses, to, to be martyrs in Jerusalem, at home, wherever home may be, in Judea, right outside of home, in Samaria, with folk we don't like and folk we don't get along with and folk we think who are too low for God and, and too far from God. We have the responsibility to be witnesses and martyrs to all those people wait a minute hold up you mean that's my responsibility yeah that's the mission the mission is not to gather on Sunday the mission is to live for Jesus Sunday through Saturday as a witness as a martyr in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the utmost parts of their wait a minute I thought I was doing my work when I showed up on Sunday with my suit on and I stood in my spot yeah that's a shadow mission that's not the mission it's legitimate it's a good thing but it might be a waste of your time your energy and your resources if you don't carry out the mission because the mission is to be a martyr. The mission is to be a witness. The mission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The mission is to share the good news about Jesus Christ. The mission is to tell everybody, everybody that you encounter that there is a savior in the world today. He's living and he can change your life forevermore. That's the mission. And anytime we invest energy, resources, and time... In areas other than that, it's a shadow mission. So don't keep spending no whole bunch of time talking about no foolish stuff. Stop wasting your time and say, let's talk about the mission. Let's, let's talk about the mission. We ain't talked about when the last time folk got saved and baptized in a long time. When the last time somebody showed up at a church meeting. That's why we don't have them. That's why we don't have them. We don't have them because we got to get clear on the mission. Once we get clear on the mission, we'll have a church meeting. Because when you meet for the church, you ought to meet talk about the business of the church. And the business of the church is the mission of the church. When the last time I, somebody showed up at a church and said, Pastor, I, I, I think that we haven't done a good job because we don't have enough folk getting saved. Y'all been around church a long time. Any of y'all ever been to a church meeting and that came up? Pastor, I, I, think, I, I think we ought to talk about something. We, we, we haven't been out to Samaria. Everybody in our church looks just like us. When, when the last time something like that came up at a church, that, a meeting for the church is about the mission of the church, isn't it? Maybe an indicator that we're spending time, energy, and resources on shadow missions instead of the real mission. But, but if we're going to partner as pastor and people, we got to be clear on the essentials. Bottom line, church, when we stand before God, he's not going to ask how many Sundays did you usher? Please give me your calendar. How many weeks did you sing on the praise team? 
How many times did you pray the prayer for opening devotion? No, he's not going to ask us about that. He's going to ask, how did you love your enemies? Were you able to bless them and pray for them and do good to them? That's what he's going to ask. How many people did you talk to about the gospel? That's the kind of stuff he's going to ask us. We're going to get before God and be like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up, God. You mean I spent all my life wearing my nice church clothes, going to church, doing churchdom, and none of those questions on the test? That's when you're going to want your pastor. Like, Pastor, what were we doing? What, what? What was we doing? It got to be Pastor's fault. Because I ain't had no Bible to read for myself. So it got to be his fault. Essentials. I know. The kingdom. That simple message and the means that depend on the Holy Spirit and the mission of reaching the world for Christ. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's like asking you to take off your socks and your shoes and showing you how to put on socks so that you don't get wrinkles in them and so the heel don't rub up against you and showing you how to tie up your shoes properly so that there's no space. I know, I know, I know. I've insulted you. I know. But if we don't get the essentials right, we're not going to win. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Has anybody taken the time to look at the scoreboard? I, I, I'm almost done. Y'all been generous with your time. But, but, but has anybody taken the time to look at the scoreboard? Let's just be honest. We lost like the Bears. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. We, the score is not in our favor. Not according to the scoreboard. But I thank God the game ain't over yet. Time is still ticking. God is still giving us opportunity. God... It's not slacking his promises as some would consider slackness, but he's delaying his return to give us opportunity to get it right, to proclaim this message. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. You don't have to draw. Just lift me up. And I'll draw men and women, boys and girls unto myself. The game ain't over yet. Let's lift Jesus up. God bless you.